The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com, ratsaladreview.com, and iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Play, whatever the fuck Amazon calls their thing. I'm there. I'm virtually everywhere now. Just go ahead and search The Right Opinion. It will be the uh, thumbnail that is black and white and red all over like the New York Times used to be. Anyway, this week, we've got quite a few things to talk about. Obviously, there's no shortage of topics here on The Right Opinion, but, uh, oh, by the way, follow me on social media, at Right Opinion Pod on Twitter, Parler, and Instagram. But as we near the presidential election, which is, I feel like, less than three weeks away at this point, it certainly feels like there's a lot longer to go than there actually is. Um, We obviously know now we will not be having a second presidential debate. Let the record reflect that the Trump campaign offered to just push both debates back two weeks, and the Biden campaign did not want to do that. There was a lot of fuss made about Trump not wanting to go virtual, which makes all the sense in the world because we know Joe Biden would be using some sort of aid to help him out because it takes him some aid to get through television interviews. We all know the beating he took last time, whether or not the media wants to recognize it. As a matter of fact, C-SPAN, they had a poll. Uh, I was seeing a lot of CNN polls that were floating around showing Biden won like 60-something to 30-something. Well, Uh, The CNN poll is what it is, probably about as laughable as the network itself. But C-SPAN, not necessarily a super partisan network, had a uh, poll up on their Twitter page, and it had Trump winning virtually in the same manner that CNN had Biden winning. So depending on where you went and what you saw, you probably had a different winner, uh, depending on your particular political leanings. And as a matter of fact, I believe that CNN poll echoed a previous CNN poll from before the debate asking who they thought would win, and there was no change between who people, particularly CNN viewers, thought was going to win and who they ended up thinking had won. It's almost as if these people don't like facts and cannot be moved from their position. I, on the other hand, uh, I also cannot be moved from my position, but that's because I like facts, and they just so happen to be on my side. So in lieu of a second presidential debate, I wasn't going to do like a lengthy breakdown of the vice presidential debate from last week, but I did kind of give a second watch, not all the way through. I kind of kind of caught some of the highlights here and there uh, when I had some downtime, and there was a few things I definitely did want to talk about. So I'm going to close out the show with vice presidential debate stuff, and I'm going to open the show with a review of the Hillary Clinton podcast. No, I'm not going to play any clips. I would not do that to you. But I listened to this shit so you didn't have to. And the episode this week being that we're opening with regular old Hillary and closing with Hillary of color. This week it is Fifty Shades of Hillary on The Right Opinion. Let's dive into it. So I did not want to listen to the first episode of the Hillary Clinton podcast because it was on the day that the presidential debate 
was was coming out, and I figured that's all she would talk about. Then I looked at the actual description of the episode, and it was Hillary talking about her faith. So, spare me the nonsense. I just skipped ahead to the second episode, which featured recording artist John Legend, of whom, by the way, despite the fact he's a radical lunatic and his wife is just an evil cunt, I actually am a big fan of John Legend's music. Uh, I've, I've multiple albums, know a lot of the songs, sing it to myself in the car all the time. So I, I, I am on occasion, you know what? I'm not even on occasion. I'm not one of these people that is really, really good at separating the talent from the political view. But if the talent is so overwhelming, as it is in the case of John Legend, who is one of the best voices of this generation, hands down, bar none, there really is no argument there. Um, I, I can still appreciate it despite the fact that uh that it does bother me that he is such a radical lunatic and that there are people out there like myself who enjoy his music who don't look any further beyond that and will just take his political opinions for what they are because they like his music i'm not one of those people certainly and then uh, also the other guest on hillary's podcast uh episode number two was the imaginary governor of georgia stacy abrams or is she the real governor of imaginary Georgia, we are still yet to determine that. Early on in the interview with John Legend, Hillary lets loose that they had had dinner at John's house. I don't know if Bill accompanied Hillary or if it was just Hillary, Chrissy, and John sitting around eating pizza. I I don't know exactly how that shook out, but I found it very odd and would have loved, loved to have been a fly there's a little foreshadowing for you for the VP debate. A fly on the wall at the John Legend household while Hillary Clinton was there having dinner with him and Chrissy Teigen. Now, early on in the interview, this was actually recorded, uh, I guess, a few weeks back because John discusses that Chrissy is pregnant with their third child. We later would find out, as Hillary would unveil at the end of the episode, that unfortunately Chrissy Teigen did have a miscarriage. Now, I don't like Chrissy Teigen. I don't like John Legend as a human being. I'm a fan of his music, and that's about the extent of it. That said, I would never wish something like that upon anybody. As a matter of fact, I had something like this happen to my family um, long, long ago. I was obviously too young to really remember it, but um, well, maybe not so obviously, but I guess it is now. And, uh, and it's unfortunate. And we, on the right, and particularly those of us who are pro-life, believe that that was a life lost, not just a mere clump of cells, as people like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend will tell you. So, look, uh, my heart bleeds for them because I think this is a tragedy, but their beliefs are that until that baby made it through the birth canal, it was just a clump of cells. So why she's posting these dramatic Instagram videos or Instagram pictures, these just dramatic black and white, you know, she's in her hospital gown, and again, I feel terrible. For that family. I do. I feel terrible for that life that was lost. None, none of that was anybody's fault from what anybody can tell, or at least what you would assume. But these are the people that tell you, woman's choice, just a clump of cells, abortion on demand up until the second it was born, and then they want you to cry for their lost child who was never born and is apparently, obviously, not alive today. It's, it's just a weird sort of hypocrisy that they never understand. They'll never, it'll never dawn on them, oh, wow, so this is what the pro-lifers are always talking about. Nope, not at all. Just whoosh right over their heads 
And uh, and and I just thought that that was worth note because I did kind of think that was interesting that that was still in the podcast. But then at the end of the program, Hillary did address it. So just thought that was an interesting part here. Again, very, very sad. I feel awful for them and for again for the, for their child. Moving on from there, uh, she's asking about John's humble beginnings. Like, this sort of thing hasn't been asked and answered a million times in a million different interviews. And also, I thought they were really good friends. Like, the type of good friends that have dinner together at the other person's house. Wouldn't she know this stuff already? This is just sort of the empty, nonsensical... Hillary wants to pretend that she's, uh, you know, she's in with all of these people when it's quite apparent that they don't actually know each other all that well. Then they get to the topic of injustice, uh, a a topic that apparently John is a champion against. Um, He does not like injustice, nor does anyone for that matter. Uh, He is teamed up with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition designed to help felons get their voting rights back. And they're talking about this this nonsense of a poll tax. Essentially, there was a decision down in Florida. Michael Bloomberg has stuck his uh, his wallet into this whole situation as well. Where if you go to jail in Florida, I, this may be everywhere, but I know particularly Florida is where a lot of this is going on. If you go to jail and you're released, but you did not pay your court fees until you have paid all of your fines back, the state of Florida has deemed that you have not fully completed your sentence. And you do not get your voting rights back until that is done. Hillary Clinton and John Legend have spun this into a poll tax, which is illegal. Point blank period across the board. It is illegal. It is not a poll tax, which is why they are allowed to do this. It is a court ruled decision that if you do not complete every step of your sentence, including the fines, you have not completed your punishment. And until you complete your punishment, you cannot get your right to vote back. I think this is pretty straightforward. I I don't fully understand why. Well, I know why they're going to spin it into it. I just don't know why anyone would actually believe it. Moving on from there, um, they talk about, well, that was the loophole here. Let's, you know, let's move on down to Stacey Abrams because there really wasn't anything particularly exciting about John Legend. The quote unquote should be governor of, uh, of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. She talks a lot about voter suppression. They talk a lot about the same sorts of things. Then Hillary talks about, basically basically just talks about how dumb women used to be and apparently still are. Uh, she says, you know, when I used to campaign, I used to knock on doors and the women used to tell me, my husband does the voting in our household. Well, unless your husband is voting illegally, you can both do the voting in your household. And even if he wants you to vote for whoever it is that he wants you to vote for, you can still walk into the booth and vote for somebody else. The, the idea that your husband mandates your vote is silly. And the fact that any woman ever allowed this to go on and wasn't just voting their own conscience once they walked into the poll is is not incredibly indicative of the overall intelligence of women, nor is this something that should be drawing sympathy from anybody with a functioning brain. Go vote how you want to vote. Also, there was another thing that said, oh, I didn't pay my poll tax. So they went back to that whole nonsense again. Uh, Hillary Clinton talks about how Trump can't win a fair election And then goes on to say that it is disgusting that Trump seems to think that Joe Biden can't win a fair election. So Trump says, supposedly, that he cannot lose a fair election. Hillary Clinton thinks that it's abhorrent that Donald Trump says this while also saying in the same breath, essentially, that Donald Trump could not win a fair election. 
It's rather hypocritical. This is also from the woman who never accepted the results of the 2016 election and has told Joe Biden not to accept the results of the 2020 election under any circumstances. That's a direct quote. And then uh, I did think that it was kind of funny at the end of the episode. It gives you kind of like the credits. One of the people who helped with this podcast is Huma Abedin, the former wife of Anthony Weiner and the potential lover of Hillary Clinton, who is most certainly not sleeping with Bill because Bill's too busy sleeping with everybody else. So that's it for Hillary. Let's move on to some other topics here. All right, so before we get into the vice presidential debate towards the end of the show, a couple quick hits along the way, some some hot stories that you've definitely heard about. But here's one that you definitely haven't heard about. Weirdly enough, the article I found on it is from Politico. The headline reads, Court reinstates fraud conviction for Hunter Biden business partner. Subheadline sub reads, Devin Archer was convicted of defrauding the Oglala Sioux Indian tribe out of bond sale proceeds. So this is an article about Devin Archer, who is or was at least at one point in time the business partner of Hunter Biden. He was also another board member of Burisma Holdings, the Ukrainian energy company that Hunter Biden had no business sitting on the board of, nor did Devin Archer. But because they were business partners, he got Devin a seat as well. The article reads, a federal appeals court reinstated the fraud conviction of Hunter Biden's former business partner on Wednesday, reversing a lower court judge who had granted his request for a retrial. Hunter Biden was not implicated in the scheme which defrauded the Oglala Sioux Indian tribe out of the proceeds of bond sales, but the scheme was committed under the auspices of a broader business venture in which Hunter Biden was involved, and the perpetrators invoked his name to bolster their legitimacy according to the testimony and consultant's slide presentation presented at trial. A lawyer for Hunter Biden has said his name was invoked without his knowledge and that he cut ties with the perpetrators when he learned of their misconduct. Very, very interesting. Now, there is one more paragraph I do want to read here. Devin Archer, this is the next paragraph, by the way, I didn't skip around. Devin Archer, whose conviction was reinstated by Wednesday's ruling, had partnered with Hunter Biden in Rosemont Seneca, a Washington-based investment firm. Starting in 2014, the pair served together on the board of Burisma, a Ukrainian natural gas company accused of corruption at the same time that his father, Joe Biden, the vice president, oversaw U.S. policy towards Ukraine. Hunter Biden has called this decision to take the board seat, quote, a mistake, unquote, while Joe Biden has defended the decision, saying, quote, my son did nothing wrong, end quote. So there is even cognitive dissonance going on within the Biden campaign. Is Joe saying, oh, my son didn't do anything wrong, and Hunter Biden saying it was a mistake for me to take it. So did he not do something wrong? Generally, mistakes are not done unless you've done something wrong, right? Like no one's ever like, oh, man, I found 20 bucks on the floor. I picked it up. That was a real mistake. Like, no, that never happens. You only have made a mistake in the case where there was a negative outcome. The negative outcome in this case apparently was that Joe Biden's corruption was unveiled. Luckily for the Biden family, the media and the hacks in the Democrat uh, Party, and for that matter, the members of Congress that tried that impeachment, are all in the bag for Biden, for the left, and for the Democrat Party, regardless of how corrupt they are, even when it's blatantly obvious to everybody. Anyway, so that I thought was a little interesting, and I figured most people were not hearing about it. So there you go. Just another 
kind of a, a, a arrow in the quiver of the right here, if you will, if I'm allowed to steal a line from Crazy Nancy, who just so happens to be who I want to talk about next. Crazy Nancy has attempted to make a commission on presidential fitness, I believe is how she called it. Um, Basically, to give a long story short, is that there's been a lot of talk about the 25th Amendment since Donald Trump took office, and the 25th Amendment is basically a mechanism by which or at least the subsections 3 and 4, I believe, are really... um, a prescription for how to remove a president from office if you feel like he is not fit for his duties. I'm actually going to read the language from you here, busting out the old handy-dandy pocket constitution. Amendment 25, Section 3, actually talks about the president stepping down, essentially, giving his own written declaration that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. But Section 4 is what crazy Nancy seems to think is an arrow in her quiver. Section 4 reads, whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Thereafter, when the president transmits to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that no inability exists, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive department or of such other body as Congress may provide by law transmit within four days to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue, assembling within 24 hours for that purpose, if not in session. If the Congress within 21 days after receipt of the latter written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines by two-thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. All right, so that's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo. What exactly does that mean? The important part really was at the beginning there because that's what Nancy is keen on here. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive department or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president, yada, yada, yada. All right, so what does that say? The vice president and the majority of either the principal officers of the executive department, that's the vice president and the cabinet. That's long and short of that. So the vice president and the cabinet would have to get together, have a vote, and say, we don't think that the president is fit to perform his duties. Then they would hand a written declaration to the Speaker of the House and to to the majority leader in the Senate, And that would immediately relieve the president of his duties, until which time the president writes his own declaration proclaiming that no such shortcomings exist. Then, if the vice vice president and the, the Senate, or I'm sorry, the vice president and the cabinet do not agree, then it goes to a vote in Congress, but Congress would have to get a two thirds majority in both houses in order to remove the president. 
Now, where does Nancy Pelosi fit into all this? Obviously, she is the Speaker of the House, but she can't hand herself a declaration, correct? Correct. So here's the part that Nancy is, is harping on here is majority of a uh, may by. Oh, okay. So it, or of such other body as Congress may by law provide. So she's trying by law to create a new commission on presidential fitness, which would mean that this new bill that she's passing to create this commission would need to pass both the House and the Senate as it sits right now, which is highly unlikely. And then, even if they got all the way through all of these mechanisms, Donald Trump would presumably hand a declaration to the majority leader in the Senate and the Speaker of the House saying, no, 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 there's no such shortcomings here. I am fully fit to commit to, to discharge the duties of my office. And then it would go to a vote in the House and in the Senate, where a two-thirds majority would need to, in both cases, rule that Donald Trump could no longer be president. So this is an uphill battle that she will never win. She won't even pass the law. The law will never actually be passed to create this body. And even by some miracle, if it did, they would never get two-thirds of the Senate to vote for Donald Trump to leave office. It's just not going to happen. So what is this all about? Well, Nancy actually says this is not about Donald Trump. Begging the question, who is it about? Can only really be about one other guy. Can only really be about Joe Biden. So this is either one of two things. This is Nancy coming to grips with the fact that Donald Trump is going to be reelected and putting in a mechanism for which that she could try to get rid of him that doesn't involve an impeachment because that didn't go so well for them politically the last time around. However, it would still require... Uh, the sign-off of the vice president, I believe, in either case. So unless they know something about Mike Pence, that he's, I mean, now it is sort of weird that the vice president has to sign off on this because who wouldn't want to be president, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I, if I was the vice president, I mean, well, you guys, what? Yeah, all right, sure, I'll be president. I'll sign wherever. I mean, who wouldn't do that? I can tell you who will do that, Kamala Harris. And that might be what this is all about. So it's either a situation where, like I said, Nancy sees the writing on the wall, realizes Trump is going to win, and is now creating a new mechanism by which to try to get rid of Trump, or this is the first of, of many ridiculous steps in the path to President Kamala Harris, where Biden will win, and then this magical commission that Nancy's just whipped up out of nowhere will rule that Joe Biden is not fit to seek office or to hold office, and Kamala Harris would step in and become the president of the United States, which is precisely what they wanted all along anyway. So, crazy Nancy, crazier than ever, really fighting an uphill battle there, and uh, hey, I, I'm kind of enjoying it because I know she's going to crash and burn as she typically does. Moving on from there, the Wolverine Watchmen. All right, so there was a militia group in Michigan that apparently attempted to kidnap or was plotting to kidnap Governor Whitner, Whitmer or Whitler or Hitler, whatever. I don't know. Governor Milfi, as she's often referred to here on this program. There, there's a lot to unpack here. First and foremost, the Wolverine Watchmen offends me as a comic book fan. Those are those are crossing universes. There, Wolverine is a Marvel character. The Watchmen is a DC character. Please, for the love of God. Get your shit straight over there, you crazy militia groups. Secondly, militia groups unto themselves are not inherently white supremacist groups. There is no real indication from what I've seen thus far that this particular group 
was in any way tied to white supremacy, nor for that matter are the Proud Boys, who are not a militia group, but often also get tied to white supremacy. They're, they're currently led by a gentleman of color, if I'm not mistaken. Then we've got the Wolverine Watchmen trying to kidnap Governor Whitmer, and then Governor Whitmer and Joe Biden, for that matter, piling on and blaming Donald Trump for this, saying that he refused to denounce white supremacists, which, again, I don't believe there's any evidence, and please feel free to point this out to me if I'm missing it. But even if there was evidence that this is a white supremacist group, what color is the governor of Georgia again? Oh, she's white? This is like the world's worst white supremacist group then. Also, this particular group was not a fan of Donald Trump either. One of the ringleaders was caught on tape speaking in front of, mind you, an, an, an anarchist flag that was saying that Donald Trump is a tyrant. Donald Trump is not your dude, is the direct quote I believe I heard on repeated podcasts over the course of the week. So these guys are not fans of Trump either, yet Trump gets the blame? I don't understand how this works. Well, I guess I do understand how it works. I, yet again, find myself puzzled as to why it works. I get how they do it, and I get why they do it. I just don't understand why the American people buy this shit, and I don't know that they do. As I was talking about in my intro, my lengthy intro a few weeks back, I don't know that the propaganda is actually working. Is there a silent majority? I believe so. Is there an overly vocal minority? I believe so. And I think... The 5 to 10% of the losers on social media with their blue check marks that kick and scream about every little thing that Donald Trump does is not indicative of the larger American population. And we are going to find that out in a few weeks. And we will be discussing that in great detail right here on The Right Opinion. But also worth note before I get into the vice presidential debate stuff, because I think that's all I got at this point, And that is correct, according to my notes. So... I just want to point out that in the coming weeks, I will be kind of trying to do more episodes. No promises, frankly. I'm going to try to get you as much information as possible. If that means one really long episode, then that's what it means. You guys listen to it at your own um, convenience. That's sort of the wonders of podcasting. But I am going to be doing an episode in the not-too-distant future, kind of pre-election breakdown. We're going to talk about some of the polls that you're not hearing about and what they could potentially mean when weighed against the polls that you are hearing about that show Joe Biden ahead by 10, 15, 20 percent in all sorts of crazy places that there's no way in hell Joe Biden is actually ahead that far. So there's a lot to be to talk about there. And we most definitely will talk about that in the in the next week or so, possibly Sunday right here on The Right Opinion. So keep an ear out for that. Also, like to take just a second to give some shout outs, uh, unlike my my cohort over on hackerhameen.podbean.com, the Andrew Bello. He is the resident god of thunder over there, but he is just a dick to his listeners. He does not appreciate them whatsoever. I don't understand for the life of me why he does that. He tells me it's his gimmick. I tell him I think he's just being honest and he's an asshole. The jury's out. That said, right here on The Right Opinion, we do appreciate everybody who listens to it, and I'm going to forget a few people, and if I did, please tweet me at Right Opinion Pod, and I'll be happy to rectify that in the coming weeks. But uh, Bonnie Renee, huge supporter. I know you're listening. Thank you so much for everything and all the likes and the shares and and, and the back and forth. We we do have some, uh, you know, she, she'll, she'll respond and, and give me some feedback every so often on Twitter. I appreciate the hell out of it. Um, also, Austy Frosty, who slid into my DMs this week to tell me what an awesome uh, job I'm doing, and I appreciate it. Uh, I don't necessarily always agree, but if you agree, that's the only thing that really matters. Uh, Shout-outs to Hans. Shout-outs to Bobbo. Shout-outs to Big Evil Pops. Shout-outs to, uh, to Chris 
whose last name is escaping me, although it is a fairly common name. You're always liking and sharing my stuff. I appreciate the hell out of you guys as well. And uh, and then everybody else who's hitting the like button, who's hitting the retweet button. Listen, I've dropped these episodes. I pinned them to my Twitter profile, and they are there for you to like and retweet and comment under at your heart's content. And if you are so kind as to hit that retweet, just know whether you have five followers or five million followers, it still means the world to me. All right, without any further ado, let's get in to the vice presidential debate, arguably the most important vice presidential debate in American history because of obviously our current president had COVID while this was all going on, a potentially life-threatening illness. And Joe Biden, on the other hand, could be the president and looks like he just died three years ago. Seriously, if you go online today, as a matter of fact, go on my social media feed. There is a picture of Joe Biden from a recent rally where he looks like the he looks like Skeletor. He looks like Tales from the Crypt. He looks like he definitely left this plane of existence a long time ago, and no one has told his body to stop walking around. That said, let's get into this. Uh, there's I got about nine clips here and some breakdown to come along with it. Let's jump into the first clip. Uh, they were talking about COVID. And um, and Kamala Harris talking about how this president doesn't have a plan. And then Mike Pence unexpectedly comes out swinging here. And, and granted, Mike Pence, a very reserved gentleman, especially compared to the president he serves under. Uh, but this is this is like a bold haymaker from Mike Pence. And this was in the early exchanges here. Let's hear what the vice president has to say about both Donald Trump's plan for covid and Joe Biden's plan. The reality is when you look at the Biden plan, it reads an awful lot like what President Trump and I and our task force have been doing every step of the way. I mean, quite frankly, uh, when I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine, um, it looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. Ding, ding, ding. We have ourselves a winner here. Vice President Pence nails this. And that Biden and Kamala keep talking about this wonderful plan that they have. And yet when you look on their website, you look at the plan, it's about getting uh, and creating more PPE, which is really weird because it was Obama and Biden that left the reserves empty for the Trump administration when they were actually handled handed a much more deadly pandemic than the H1N1. Thank God the H1N1 was not as, as, as deadly as COVID, as we will talk about here in a little bit. But they want to get the PPE. They want to get the ventilators. They want to bring the supply chain home. They want to you know do all of these things that Trump did and has been doing. Not to mention Operation Warp Speed, which is going to create the fastest generated vaccine in the history of humankind on top of all of the therapeutics, none of which would be possible without the lifting of regulations. Regulations, by the way, that were put in place by the Obama administration in some instances that were in the way of not only getting these things out to people faster, but also to letting some members of the private industry get access to samples of the virus and try to come up with their own vaccines and their own treatments and things along those lines. The Trump administration did everything they could possibly have done, as Fauci has even said, and said uh, and was quoted as saying such in the most recent Trump team ad. And then Fauci comes out and says, oh, they took my words out of context. No, they didn't take your words out of context, Fauci. You said that I don't know that anyone could be doing more. Was he specifically talking about Trump? No, but he was talking about the response from the federal government, which is led by Trump. 
look, the, whether whether Fauci likes him or not doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he was doing everything he needed to do, even according to Fauci, who was heavily involved in this process from the onset. It's just it's just silly. But good for Pence for taking that jab there because it was it was justified. Joe Biden does have a long, long track record of plagiarism, everything from papers in his law class to his covid plan to um, to the Green New Deal, which he just sort of like changed a few letters around and said, no, 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 the Biden plan's different as if anyone actually believes that. And for that matter, um, Joe Biden has plagiarized his own life story from Neil Kinnock, a uh, parliamentarian in the UK. So this this guy is a joke. Uh, he has not had an original thought in his entire life. And good for Mike Pence for calling that out and calling it out early because it's really weird that people don't understand that everything Biden's claiming he will do, Trump has already done. And meanwhile, Biden's talking about putting mask mandates and lockdowns back in place in January of 2021 when we don't even know if this is going to be a big deal by then. Will it probably still be around? Yes, but I would like to think that by January 20th of 2021, we will have this thing under control to the point to where we can go back to something vaguely resembling our normal lives. Not if Joe Biden has anything to say about it. He will keep you in your basement the same way he's been in his basement because he doesn't want to be the only person sitting around in his basement, apparently. I guess. I mean, that just seems to be it. By the way, the World Health Organization, which is still total fucking trash, by the way, just came out and said that lockdowns are probably not a good idea and that we need to find some middle path between complete shutdowns and willy-nilly running all over the place and licking everyone's face. There needs to be a middle ground. Now, the World Health Organization sucks. They lied to us from the beginning. They could be lying to us now, but the, the left keeps touting all of the experts. We need to listen to the science. Well, the World Health Organization just came out today and said that they don't think lockdowns are a good idea and that they cause secondary and tertiary problems that were not foreseen the first time around. And frankly, we didn't have a whole lot of a choice the first time around. We didn't know anything about this virus yet. Anyway, let's move on to the second point here, which is about the H1N1 virus, as I kind of teased a little bit before. Mike Pence, do your thing. You know, the reality is when you talk about about failure in this administration, we actually do know what failure looks like in a pandemic. It was 2009. The swine flu arrived in the United States. Thankfully, it was ended up not being as lethal as the coronavirus. But before the end of the year, when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, not seven and a half million people contracted the swine flu. 60 million Americans contracted the swine flu. If the swine flu had been as lethal as the coronavirus in 2009, when Joe Biden was vice president, we would have lost 2 million American lives. His own chief of staff, Ron Klain, would say last year that it was pure luck that they did, quote, everything possible wrong. And, and we learned from that. They left the strategic national stockpile empty. They left uh, an empty and hollow plan, but we Thank still learn from Pence. it. And I, I think Vice the American President people, I'm going to say again, can be Vice proud President Pence, I'm sorry, of what we have up. done. And Senator, please you, stop President undermining Pence. confidence in a vaccine. Senator, A lot of people are making an issue of the fact that Pence kept talking. And frankly, by the end of the debate, I kept saying it too. Like, just shut the fuck up for the love of God. Just finish the sentence. Just finish the sentence and let the next person talk. Because he was kind of given this Trumpian vibe off here. And, you know, the strategy I would think would be much different when you're debating Kamala Harris 
when you're debating Joe Biden. Joe Biden is he's an irritable old man that if you can get him off his rocker, quite literally, you can probably jostle him and get him to, you know, to 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 gaff as he often does. Trump wasn't as successful in doing that the first time around as you would imagine, but Trump was just levying facts and data on Biden that he just had no counter for, as was the case in this particular debate as well. Pence points out, rightfully so, that the Obama administration, he's a Democrat, by the way, and Joe Biden was his vice president and was heavily involved in a lot of these decisions, failed miserably with H1N1. His own chief of staff said that they got it, they got lucky, basically, and that they had done everything wrong. So for all these people, Kamala Harris, by the way, was in Congress while all this was going on, didn't hear her kicking and screaming about the failures of the Obama administration. Maybe there was too many for her to count, and frankly, there were. But uh, at the end of the day here, Pence laying it down, saying, like, look, we did it this way. You guys did it that way. Our way saved lives. Your way, you just got lucky that more lives weren't taken. I did hear a statistic this week. We we talk about, you know, obviously they try to fear monger about the children getting sick because they want to keep the schools closed because they want to piss people off because they think that people will blame this on Donald Trump, which I still don't believe any rational human being actually does, being that he could not be more vocal about the fact that he wants everyone to open up. He wants all the lockdowns to end. He wants the schools to open and for the kids to be back learning so that you can go to work and earn a living for them and to provide for them on top of it. So, Getting back to what I was talking about there is that we've had something around like 8,600 children have been hospitalized in the U.S. as a result of COVID. Under H1N1, 86,000 children were hospitalized. Now, we're not through the woods yet here in COVID, but I think it's safe to say that we're not going to be adding on another 900% of children hospitalized at this point, even if we did open up the schools tomorrow and they all ran around licking each other's faces. I just don't think that that's going to be the case. Children are very, very not susceptible to this, and in not to say that they can't get it or that it can't cause some sort of harm, but if your kid is not obese and doesn't have some sort of pre-existing condition, the likelihood is that they will get this. They won't even know they have it. They probably won't even spread it to an adult because there's a lot of science that suggests that that's not happening either. And they'll be over it in two weeks, and then hopefully they'll be immune from it moving forward. And then that's one less potential spreader from for all of us, really. I said from the beginning, we should have done chicken pox parties with this whole thing. I don't know if I said it on air, but I definitely said it in private conversations, is that from the get-go, if you had kids, uh, especially as we were getting close to the, to the end of summer, everybody should just put all the fucking kids together, let them all get sick, let them all get over it, and then they can go back to school and they don't have to worry about it, they don't have to wear masks. I mean, like, th- this, is, this was an easy fix. And being that we did know that children were really not going to die from this at any realistic rate. As a matter of fact, children are dying from this disease at a lower rate than they are the common cold. You are statistically more likely to be struck by lightning and die than you are to be under the age of 10 and die of COVID. That's just the way that the stats bear it out. It's not just me blowing smoke. Anyway, let's get into Kamala Harris. I got a couple clips from her as well. Don't worry, I wasn't just going to play Pence clips for you, although I think I have more Pence clips than Kamala. It's probably because I'm a misogynist, but hey, I'll let you make that decision. Kamala Harris talking about Trump's taxes. Let's hear what she has to say. Um, Both in terms of health records, but also let's look at taxes. Um, We now know because of great investigative journalism that Donald Trump paid $750 in taxes. When I first heard about it, I I literally said, you mean $750,000? And it was like, no, $750. We now know Donald Trump owes and is in debt 
for $400 million. And just so everyone is clear, when, when we say in debt, it means you owe money to somebody. And it'd be really good to know who the president of the United States, the commander in chief, owes money to, because the American people have a right to know what is influencing the president's decisions. And is he making those decisions on the best interest of the American people, of you, or self-interest? So, Susan, I'm glad you asked about transparency, because it has to be across the board. Joe has been incredibly transparent over many, many years. The one thing we all know about Joe, he puts it all out there. He, he is honest, he is forthright, but Donald Trump, on the other hand, Susan. has been Thank about covering up everything. Thanks. Thank you, Susan. Senator Harris. I want That's, that, that Joe is honest and forthright. That's just silly. He doesn't even know what his own fucking platform is, nor does Kamala Harris, by the way. Anyway, so let's get into this nonsense about the whole Trump's taxes. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm actually doing this because it, just, it is unfathomable to me that people really buy this shit. Even if Donald Trump did pay $750 in taxes or whatever it was, that does not mean that he did anything illegal. Not even close. As a matter of fact, let's see what PJ Media has to say about this. This is this is an article from PJ Media writing about the New York Times article about Trump's taxes. Headline, New York Times bombshell essentially boils down to this. Trump paid millions in taxes and owes no debt to Russia. We move into uh, to the actual line from the paper here. As Brown further noted... This is from the original reporting here, Alexandria Brown of the New York Times writing here. As Brown further noted, Trump paid, as in transferred to the U.S. Treasury, $1 million in 2016 and $4.2 million in 2017. Note also that most of the overpayment was rolled forward, not refunded. So Donald Trump actually ended up paying taxes and didn't even ask for a refund. They will be rolled forward for future years to be taken against him. Also, as I mentioned, I think in the last broadcast, is that some of this was 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 over even what he owed, and he basically just told the Treasury to keep it. Now, some of that will be rolled over, but some of it is excess tax that he did voluntarily pay, namely those $750 in 2016 and 2017. Also worth note, in 2017, he was the President of the United States. He makes $400,000 a year and donated every dime of it to the U.S. Treasury or to some cause within the U.S. government. So he didn't have income in the conventional sense in 2017. So I don't even know how he got to that $4.2 million number. That's sort of interesting and would be kind of intriguing to find out where they came up with that number to begin with. But at the end of the day, Trump did pay $5.2 million in taxes over that period of time. He just didn't owe that much, so the excess will be rolled over to future years, as he had done in previous years. So he did not pay $1,500 over the course of two years. He paid $5.2 million over the course of two years. Also worth note is that the Times reporting shows that there's no sort of debt, there's no indication of any sort of debt to, to the Russians or to Russia and when Kamala Harris says that he is in debt, that is misleading as misleading gets. To be in debt means that you have negative net worth, essentially. To have debt is to owe money to somebody. When you have a multi-billion dollar organization, you can take billions of dollars potentially in loans because, look— Donald Trump does not outright own every building that's got his name on it. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are just licensed to have his name on it because his name carried weight prior to his being the president. And now, of course, he's an evil racist 
seemingly out of nowhere, so I'm sure the value of his name on buildings has probably gone down. Yet another example of how Donald Trump is clearly not interested in using the presidency to make money, in addition to the fact, like I said before, he, he gives up and donates his presidential salary of 400 something thousand dollars a year. He is not in debt in that he owes billions of dollars and has not enough net worth to cover it. He owes $1.1 billion to a variety of different places because he has loans that are out on the various buildings that he owns. This is not incredibly uncommon. If you looked at Jeff Bezos's tax returns, I assure you he has some debt. Does it necessarily mean that he's in debt? No, he has some debt. He's got $160 billion. I bet he's probably got like 2 to $3 billion in debt somewhere. That's just unpaid because he hasn't gotten around to paying it yet. It's not that he couldn't pay it. It's that he's not paying it yet. And the same goes for Donald Trump and, frankly, any wealthy billionaire, particularly somebody in real estate. And I'll, you know what? I'll forgive Kamala Harris for this. This is not her field of expertise because it doesn't involve blowing a married guy. Or being a prosecutor that throws a lot of people of color in jail and utilizing them for slave labor. But neither here nor there at the moment. Kamala Harris does have some things to say about the economy, which is obviously not her field of expertise either. And I won't say it's Pence's expertise necessarily, but it certainly has been the Trump administration's expertise. And Pence did an excellent job throughout the course of the night of steering back to the issue of the economy because he's smart enough to know that that's what really matters to people. But here's Kamala Harris with her radical left-wing opinion of the economy as a whole and particularly Trump's economy. Some economists warn that could curb entrepreneurial ventures that fuel growth and create jobs. Good economy. Would raising taxes put the recovery at risk? And you have two minutes to answer uninterrupted. Thank you. Um, on the issue of the economy, I, I think there couldn't be a more fundamental difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Yeah, Pence is smiling and nodding. By Joe the way. Biden believes you measure the health and the strength of America's economy based on the health and the strength of the American worker and the American family. On the other hand, you have Donald Trump, who measures the strength of the economy based on how rich people are doing, which is why he passed a tax bill benefiting the top 1% and the biggest corporations of America, leading to a $2 trillion deficit that the American people are going to have to pay for. On day one, Joe Biden will repeal that tax bill. He'll get rid of it. And what he'll do with the money is invest it in the American people. And through a plan that is about investing in infrastructure, something that Donald Trump said he would do. I remember hearing about some infrastructure week. I don't think it ever happened. But Joe Biden will do that. He'll invest in infrastructure. It's about upgrading our roads and bridges, but also investing in clean energy and renewable energy. Joe is going to invest that money in what we need to do around innovation. There was a time when our country believed in science and invested in research and development so that we were an innovation leader on the globe. Joe Biden will use that money to invest in education. So for example, for folks who want to go to a two-year community college, it will be free. If you come from a family that makes less than $125,000, you'll go to a public university for free. And across the board, we'll make sure that if you have student loan debt, it's cut by $10,000. That's how Joe Biden thinks about the economy, which is it's about investing in the people of our country as opposed to passing a tax bill, which had the benefit of letting American corporations go offshore to do their business. Gravy, there are more lies in there than I initially realized. I had to go back. Eight lies in that 
in that sentence there. Well, maybe not lies, but certainly um, mistruths, I guess. I don't know, misleading statements. Let's go with that. Number one is that she says that Donald Trump measures the economy by how rich people are doing. Newsflash to Kamala Harris, that's how everybody measures the economy. Rich people are what drive the economy. Listen, folks, if you're listening to this, I love you dearly. But the likelihood is, if you and your money disappeared off the face of the earth tomorrow, it would not affect the economy one bit. If Jeff Bezos and all of his money fall off the face of the earth tomorrow, the stock market would tank. And unlike the morons of the left who don't seem to think that the stock market has any value, it does. If the stock, if a particular stock tanks, that means that the corporation is making less money than they were making. They are worth less than they were worth before. And the likelihood is is that they are going to cut jobs in order to make up for that. There's not a lot of companies that you see sliding down on the stock market that are hiring people, certainly not over any exorbitant amount of time. Rich people drive the economy. The 1% pays 40% of our income tax, even with all of the evasion tactics or the, I'm sorry, the, the avoidance tactics, to be more precise and, for that matter, legally accurate. Even with all of that, even with all the attorneys and all the accountants doing work, fudging all the numbers, the 1%, the top 1% pays 40% of the federal income tax. That means that the other 99% of us only pay 60. They are more than carrying their weight. From there, she goes on to talk about the tax bill that benefited the 1% and top, cor- top corporations. This is, again, misleading. And the uh, number two, for that matter, on this particular list here, is that the tax bill benefited the middle class more than it benefited the upper class. Is that the top class, the top's tax bracket came down by less than 3%, and the middle class tax brackets went down by 3 and 4%. Yes, they got more money back. They had more money to begin with. And that is why they reap the dollar amount looks higher. But percentage-wise, if you have if you have $100,000 and I give you $100, that means more to you than if I give somebody who's got $100 million $100. Percentage-wise, percentages, by the way, are inherently fair. That's sort of what makes them what they are, is they are a proportion of the whole. It works out better for the middle class. And for that matter, she says that the top corporations benefited from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is inaccurate. All corporations received benefits from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The corporate tax in the United States was at 35%. It came down to 21%. That wasn't just for Amazon and Netflix. It was for every corporation in the United States. So if you owned a small business and it's incorporated, you have an LLC, and you were, let's say... You were paying, I don't know, let's throw a number out there. You were paying $5 million in taxes. That's probably not a small business at that point, but work with me on the round numbers. You are now only paying $3 million in taxes. You got a 14% raise from the federal government, essentially, by not claiming the money that you worked for, and they really have no right to in the beginning to, to begin with. Lie number three is that that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act led to a $2 trillion deficit. This is, again, misleading. It did not lead directly to a $2 trillion deficit. As a matter of fact, federal tax revenue actually went up even after the taxes were cut because more people had jobs because corporations got a 14% raise, started hiring more people, and those people pay payroll taxes and ultimately pay income tax as well. The federal income revenue went up after the taxes were cut. 
The $2 trillion deficit stems from ridiculous over-the-top spending, of which Donald Trump is most certainly complicit, but I can guarantee you Joe Biden would be far, far worse with all of his radical left loonies in his ear saying, we need to spend $10 trillion on green energy. We need to spend $100 trillion on a Green New Deal, and then we got to give away free college, and then we got to give away free Medicare, and then we got to do all that for the illegal immigrants too. Yeah, spending not getting any better under the Biden administration or, for that matter, any Democrat administration. I am not a fan of Donald Trump's spending habits. I'm not. I'm a huge supporter of his, as you all well know. This has been one of the the thorns in my side of the presidential of of, the, of this particular administration of the presidential run of Trump, and I am not a fan of it. That said, it is one of a bajillion things to worry about, and I like what he's doing in the other bajillion minus one things for the most part. Lie number four: Biden will repeal the tax bill. Again, this is not actually a lie so much as it is the truth, but she will later say in the next clip, as a matter of fact, that Joe Biden is not going to repeal the tax bill. So which is it? We don't know. Joe doesn't know either, in all fairness. Then she takes a jab about infrastructure week, which is really weird because the Democrats, again, all about spending money, and under any other president probably would have been more than happy to put together an infrastructure bill. The problem is is that the Democrats in this Congress have no interest in working with Donald Trump on anything, even when they're things that they themselves would otherwise be spending money on. This is not Trump's fault. He had an infrastructure week. I remember watching it live on Twitter as he was having all these press conferences with all these different people talking about all these different things that we can do with the airports, with the roads, the bridges, the tunnels, yada, yada, yada. Never came to fruition, most likely because of Crazy Nancy and people like Kamala Harris. Moving on from there, number six, this is a big old lie here. Kamala Harris says that there was a time where we were an innovation leader in the world. Bitch, we still are. Who do you think is coming up with all of these vaccines, all these therapeutics, all this sort of stuff? I mean, yeah, there's some going on in France, there's some going on in Israel, but at the end of the day, a majority of the innovation in the world, in virtually any field, comes from the United States of America. This is just ridiculous to claim that that is not the case. It is, there, is no, there is no data, no information, nothing that she could possibly be pulling this from that would even give a sliver of merit to it. She's just fucking lying. Number seven. Then she goes on to talk about how Joe Biden's going to give away free education and all that sort of stuff. It's all fine and dandy. Look, uh, look, socialists out there, if I thought for even a second that there was a world in which the government could provide me with everything and I could just sit around all the time, smoke pot, podcast, have sex, and eat, and those would pretty much be my four things of choice if I had to come down to four. If that if that was the circumstances, I would sign up for that tomorrow. The problem is, is that there are no circumstances in which the government can provide everything that you need and you can live a happy life. There's this little thing called communism. It has never worked, ever. Go look at China, who are now, by the way, sort of free market, but still a di- dictatorial communist party. And uh, And by the way, free education... Sounds like it's a good thing, right? Sounds like it's going to save you money, right? Wrong. Why wrong? It's it's free, Harrison. How is it possible that it's going to cost me more money? Well, because if the if a four-year bachelor's degree is now free, then it essentially just becomes a GED or a high school education, which means that in order to excel, you're then going to need to go and, and get a master's degree or a doctorate in a particular field. And spoiler alert, Master's degrees and doctorates cost much more money 
than your regular four-year degree. So we live right now in a standard where if you get a four-year degree, you could pretty much go out and get most jobs that don't require a master's or a doctorate. In a world where Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are giving away four-year degrees, you're going to need to get a master's and or a doctorate, which is going to cost you more money. And oh, by the way, you're going to be going to school until you're damn near 30, probably living at home with your mother. And if not, you're going to have to try to pay for a master's degree and or a doctorate degree while paying for an it while paying for a place to live while trying to work a full time job. At the end of the day, it will ultimately cost you more money in that world where you need a master's or a doctorate than in this world where all you really need is a bachelor's degree. And in many cases, you don't even actually need that go to a trade school. Last but not least, line number eight, she was talking about how American companies are were leaving as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is really weird because they weren't at all. We got a lot of companies to come back to the United States, as a matter of fact, probably because they no longer had to pay 35% corporate tax and now only had to pay 21%. And, and there are still plenty of places in the world where the corporate tax is much lower. I believe Ireland, it's only 12%, which it might even be lower than that. But I think 12% is the number that's coming off the top of my head. A lot of these tech companies could just go over there. It's not like they need to be in any particular physical location in order to be over there. But here in America is where all the innovation is, where all the labor is. So that's why they stay here. And it makes more sense for them to pay an extra 9% tax at the 21% rate than it does to pay 9% less and go to Ireland and deal with having to get Americans over there or, or bringing all the resources that they want over there. They're here. They're in the market here in the U.S. That's worth something to them, but it's not worth 9% of their income for them to leave. Whereas if they were paying 35% income tax, corporate tax, then it might make sense for them to leave and go to a place like Ireland where they can only pay 12%. That was specifically designed, as a matter of fact, to not only keep companies here, but to bring companies back. And it did. Kamala Harris, eight lies in like a minute. It's amazing. That might be a new record even for Hillary's of any color. Next, let's get into Joe Biden's tax plan, which is he's going to raise your taxes. She's going to deny it even though she just told you that he is going to repeal on day one the Trump tax cuts, which will raise your taxes even if you make less than $400,000, which is like the going conspiracy theory out on social media. Joe Biden says that he's only going to raise taxes on people over $400,000. Yeah, that's what he says. Spoiler alert, he fucking lies. He and, and frankly, I don't even know that he's lying. I just don't know that he knows because he's not the one running the show there, folks, as anybody can tell. His 60% of Americans don't believe he'll actually get through his first term. We all know who's pulling the strings around here. It's Kamala and the radical left. Kamala tries to make this claim, Biden's not going to cut your taxes unless you make over a certain amount. Mike Pence shuts that down and frankly could have done a better job of it considering the fact that Kamala Harris herself just fucking said it two minutes ago. But here is Kamala outright gaslighting you. Mike Pence not having any of it. Go. Well, I mean, I thought we saw enough of it in last week's debate, but I think this is supposed to be a debate based on fact and truth. And the truth and the fact is Joe Biden has been very clear he will not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. He said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Uh, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Well, wait, wait. I'm speaking. Be important if you said the truth. Right. Joe Biden said twice <laughs> in the debate last week that he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. That was tax cuts that gave the average working family two thousand dollars in a tax break every single year. That Senator, is, that is that's absolutely not true. That is he only bill, cutting is he only going to repeal part of the Trump tax cuts? If you don't mind letting me finish. 
We can Please. then have a conversation, okay? Please. Okay. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. He has been very clear about that. Joe Biden will not end fracking. He has been very clear about that. <laughs> and Pence just laughs at her because this is just silly, folks. It's one thing if you want to say that he's making this claim now that he is not going to ban fracking. It's another thing to say that he's been perfectly clear about it when he has literally looked voters in the eye, said, look me in the eye. I promise you we will get rid of fossil fuels. By the way, fracking, natural gas, fossil fuel. The, 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 it has certainly not been clear. If you want to make the claim that he's changed, I would like to know why he's changed other than the fact that you've got your hand up his ass and using it to work his mouth. Other than that, there needs to be some explanation as to why Joe Biden went from, I will get rid of all fossil fuels, look me in the eye, I promise you, to we're not banning fracking. I know why it is. It's because he's losing in the state that he was born in, Pennsylvania, according to their internal polls. If he was winning, there'd be no need for him to go back on that statement. It's also why Joe is spending a lot of time in Pennsylvania, despite the fact that it probably should be a lock for him, being that he was from there. He's Scranton Joe. He's the blue-collar lunch bucket kid or whatever the fuck he's calling himself on any given day. It's, it's quite clear, folks. Joe Biden is going to raise your taxes. He said it. She said it. They're going to repeal the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which lowered your taxes. And not just if you're making over $400,000. Everybody who pays taxes, every single tax bracket was reduced under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There's plenty of people that don't pay taxes. They obviously couldn't get a tax cut, although the left would probably want to give them checks just for existing, apparently. Good for you guys. I mean... It's just the spending never ends. Again, it's not any better with the Trumps, but it is a little better because it's not instead of two trillion dollars, we're not talking about ten trillion dollars. It's 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 a douche and a turd sandwich. That's that's what we are looking at at this point. But one thing is for sure, Joe Biden is not clear on anything, particularly his stances on anything. Court packing, the economy, tax cuts, Green New Deal. Doesn't it just does, it doesn't seem to matter? He will just lie through his teeth, and the media will cover for him. And Kamala Harris will go out here and say he's being perfectly clear, despite the fact he said five different things that all contradict one another, even within the last week. And then when she's called on it, all she has is to laugh, and not just like a normal like "ha, that's funny" laugh, like Trump, like Pence just did. No, no, it's a, like an evil Joker, Joaquin Phoenix cackle, because she thinks it's funny. She thinks it's funny that she's being called out. It's one of those things she must just be laughing because, you know, laugh through the pain sort of deal. She has to know that this isn't true. She has to know. There's no possible way she, as the vice presidential candidate to Joe Biden, is dumb enough to actually believe the lies Joe Biden is espousing and knows damn well that she needed to go out there and echo them and champion them and pretend that they are the God's honest truth when it couldn't be any further from the case. All right, next up, foreign policy. The economy and foreign policy, I believe have been the absolute best parts of the Donald Trump administration. And it, frankly, neither were the strength of the Obama-Biden administration. So here's Kamala Harris trying to uh, paint Joe Biden as some sort of foreign policy guru. Maybe he was teaching her how to get her kids jobs so that they can make millions of dollars on the slide. I don't know. Maybe maybe that is what the conversation was. But here's Susan Page asking the question of Kamala Harris about foreign policy and her going into a lengthy diatribe about how Joe Biden thinks that foreign policy is all about relationships. Senator Harris, we've seen changes in the 
in the role of the United States in terms of global leadership over the past four years. And of course, times do change. What's your definition? We've seen strains with China, of course, as the vice president mentioned. We've seen strains with our traditional allies yeah. in NATO and elsewhere. What is your definition of the role of American leadership in 2020? So, you know, Joe is, I, I love talking with Joe about a lot of these issues. And, you know, Joe, he, I think he said it quite well. He says, you know, foreign policy, it might sound complicated, but really it's relationships. So just think about it as relationships. And so we know this in our personal and professional relationships. Um, you got to keep your word to your friends. Got to be loyal to your friends. People who have stood with you, got to stand with them. You got to know who your adversaries are and keep them in check. But what we have seen with Donald Trump is that he has betrayed our friends and, 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 and embraced dictators around the world. Let's take, for example, Russia. So Russia, I serve on the Intelligence Committee of the United States Senate. America's intelligence community told us Russia interfered in the election of the president of the United States in 2016 and is playing in 2020. Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, said the same. But Donald Trump, the commander-in-chief of the United States of America, prefers to take the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of the American intelligence community. You look at our friends at NATO. He's walked away from agreements. You can talk, look at the Iran nuclear deal, which now has put us in a position where we are less safe because they are building up what might end up being a significant nuclear arsenal. We were in that deal, guys. We were in the Iran nuclear deal with friends, with allies around the country. And because of Donald Trump's unilateral approach to foreign policy, coupled with his isolationism, he pulled us out and has made America less safe. So Susan, it's about relationships. And the thing that has always been part of the strength of our nation, in addition to our great military, has been that we keep our word. But Donald Trump doesn't understand that because he doesn't understand what it means to be honest. Thank you. Thank all right. So Pence ended up putting the kibosh on all this, and he talked about all the promises that Donald Trump did keep. Because at the end of the day, the promises that are important from the United States president are the promises that he makes to the American people. He promised that he would get us out of the Paris Climate Accord, and he did. He promised to get us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and he did. He promised to renegotiate NAFTA. He did. He promised to move the uh, embassy in Israel to uh, to Jerusalem. He did that, too something that the Obama-Biden administration said they would do and never actually got around to doing because they were too busy buddying up with the enemies of our greatest ally, Israel, and one of which was Iran, who right now, the Trump administration's handling of Iran basically has the rest of the Middle East like somehow getting along for the first time in forever. We've got two peace deals that were signed recently, more to come potentially, and all of this because he actually treated Iran like the terrorists that they are. And instead of starting a, a full-blown regime change war with them, like he, like previous administrations most certainly would have, and were probably attempting to, Donald Trump just dropped a single missile on the guy that was causing the problems over there, Qasem Soleimani. He was going to Iraq to go kill more Americans, which is sort of his favorite pastime, or was, and Donald Trump handled that shit and didn't have to start a multi-trillion dollar, decades-long war. He just hit a button and poof 
one of the problems was gone. Now, that's not to suggest that all of our problems with Iran are over, but this idea that Donald Trump's not keeping his promises, no, 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 he just got us out of really shitty deals that we had no business being in in the first place. If those were promises, they were promises from the previous administration, and they were stupid, and they should not have been made. Policy, foreign policy changes with every administration. There were things that Bush did that Obama overturned. There was things that Clinton did that Bush overturned. There was things that Reagan did that Clinton overturned. That's the nature of having an executive branch with a large sweeping authority in terms of foreign policy, is that when they come in, they get to implement their foreign policy. The rest of the world knows this. This isn't a big shock to them. They watch the election results like the rest of us because America is the greatest, most important fucking country in the world, and everything that they do hinges upon what we do. So if Kamala Harris wants to take the Obama-Biden-Iran deal and wear that as some sort of badge of honor of how great they are at foreign policy, go right ahead. I'll take the guy that makes smart moves on foreign policy, doesn't give a goddamn what the rest of the world thinks, and just pushes ahead in the best interest of the American people. I'll take that guy any day of the week. On top of the fact that he actually held our allies, if we want to call them that, regardless of what you want to call them, Donald Trump has held them to account. NATO is now contributing more money towards defense than ever before because Trump told everybody, look, you guys are supposed to spend 2% of your GDP on national defense. If you're not doing that, you guys are going to have to get out of NATO. There's rules in place here, and we seem to be the only ones following them, and for that matter, overcompensating for everybody else who isn't following them. I'll take I'll take the guy who does everything in the best interest of America over the people that keep empty, stupid promises and hang their hat on an Iran deal that basically ensured that Iran would be able to have a nuclear weapon just in time for Obama to leave office. Donald Trump just got out of it altogether. It was stupid. No one was actually benefiting from it. Certainly not us. And we didn't feel the need, to, like we weren't fans of it from the get-go. We didn't want to give billions of dollars of, uh, in pallets of cash to the Iranians who were just going to turn around and fund terror with it. This was admitted, by the way, by then Secretary of State John Kerry, who said, yeah, basically we're going to give them this money and we know they're going to go fund terror with it. Brilliant foreign policy, guys. Absolutely brilliant. Not to mention Joe Biden has been on the wrong end of virtually every major foreign policy decision. You know, when he wasn't taking his son to China to go get a bunch of money and letting them eat his lunch, and when he wasn't going to Ukraine to let his son get a, a job on a board that he didn't have anything to do with, he was making stupid decisions like, oh, let's not go after Osama bin Laden. Joe Biden is, is horrific in foreign policy. Robert Gates, who I believe was part of the administration, has said as much repeatedly. But relationships, guys, it's all about relationships. All right, another important thing I definitely wanted to lay out here is court packing. Here they are on that topic. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. The, Men Mr. and women, Vice I, I, I got to tell you, people across this country, if you cherish our Supreme Court, if you cherish the separation of powers, you need to reject the Biden-Harris ticket. Come November the 3rd, re-elect President Donald Trump, and we'll stand by that separation powers in a nine-seat Supreme Court. Yeah, Thank let's you. talk about packing the court then. Let's talk about the Please. fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to. So the Trump-Pence administration has been, because I sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Susan, as you mentioned, and I've witnessed 
the appointments for lifetime appointments to the federal courts, district courts, courts of appeal. People who are purely ideological, people who have been reviewed by, by legal professional organizations and found to have been not competent are substandard. And do you know that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black? This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Let's go on and talk about the issue of racial justice. I, I just want the record to reflect she never answered the question. Well, I mean, she kind of answered the question, but then she lied. She just made up like an Abraham Lincoln quote, basically. Abraham Lincoln did appoint a justice under those circumstances that she was talking about. He didn't do so before the election because Congress wasn't in session, but he had every intention of appointing, of, of, of nominating somebody and having it gone, go through the process as any president would. As a matter of fact, this has happened 29 times in our country's history, and all of those times, 100% of those times, the president has made a nomination, the Senate went through with it, and I believe only one of them was not confirmed. And to further elaborate on that, Abraham Lincoln's last nominee for the Supreme Court was the one that she was referring to there. It happened to be Salmon P. Chase, and he was approved in one day. He was nominated on December 6th when Congress returned, and they voted that day and approved Salmon P. Chase. One day. December, December 6th, 1964, I believe it was. So, and I was just looking at the wiki. I'm not that good at it. Uh, but at the end of the day... Abraham Lincoln did not make some sort of, you know, statement about the the people should decide. Congress wasn't in session. He waited until Congress was back in session, which just so happened to be after the election. And poof, Sam and P. Chase ended up being a Supreme Court justice and would later go on to be chief justice. But before I move on from the packing the court issue, because apparently Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are hell-bent on doing it, otherwise they would just tell you, no, we're not looking to pack the court. This is not a question that that there's two equal answers here. There's one answer that's in line with everybody, and then there's the radical, ridiculous opinion that, yes, we should pack the Supreme Court. Now, there seems to be some issue over what packing the Supreme Court means. Filling vacancies is not packing the Supreme Court. Creating new vacancies, not by firing people, but by creating new positions. The Democrats much like their buddy FDR, who they shouldn't like because the parties apparently switched 30 years after FDR left office. For whatever reason, FDR wanted to pack the courts back then because he didn't have a friendly Supreme Court. A lot of his things, a lot of his um, policy proposals were being turned down, and he wanted to pack the court, add six justices. Obviously, he would then get to appoint all of them, and that would give him the majority that he needed. His own party, which had full control of Congress at the time, told him, no, stop it. You're going to ruin one of the three branches of government. And why would it ruin it? I mean, certainly 15 justices could be no more or less impartial than nine justices. Yeah, but the problem is, is that if he added six back in the 30s and 40s, we'd, we'd, every president that didn't get his way from the Supreme Court would do the same thing, and we'd be looking at a football stadium full of Supreme Court justices today. It's silly. There's nothing in the Constitution that says there needs to be nine, but we have not added any Supreme Court justices in over 150 years. Can we just leave one institution of government alone? And, and this is from somebody who's not a huge fan of government, largely. But at the end of the day, I do respect the Constitution. I respect what the Founding Fathers put together. And I think that decimating the legitimacy of the Supreme Court and politicizing it by just adding on people to make it bend to your whim 
is probably not good long-term for the country. And the Democrats, in an attempt to try to spin this in, the, in just such a way to where it'll make sense to complete and utter morons, uh, the media, the Democrat nominees, the Democrat politicians, all of them, they're all out in full bore trying to actively change the definition of the term court packing. Now, court packing is, as I explained it to you, which is to create brand new vacancies, brand new seats on a Supreme Court or any court, I guess, for that matter, and just adding judges willy-nilly because you didn't get your way before. That might be a longer way to getting to the definition, but it's basically creating new spots on the bench for you to just fill that weren't there before. That is what court packing is. Dan Rather seems to have issue with this. Yeah, that Dan Rather. He tweets, can we at least recognize that, quote, court packing at all levels of the judiciary has been the Republican playbook for decades asking for Merrick Garland? Which is funny because, as Trump pointed out in the debate last week, it was the Obama-Biden administration that left him over a hundred vacancies on federal courts. Was he not supposed to fill them? As a matter of fact, Obama was supposed to fill them. That would have been his presidential duty to do so. But he was too busy spying on the president and uh, working out deals with uh, with the terrorists in, in Iran and allowing Hezbollah to sell drugs here and selling guns to Mexican drug cartels and using the IRS to go after conservatives. He was too busy doing all that to fill the courts. Donald Trump comes in. And he's got all these openings. He looks at it, and he goes, this is it. This is how I leave my legacy on the United States for years and years to come. Because he's going to fill all of these seats, many of which are lifetime appointments, and because they were vacant, now he gets to fill them with textualists, with, con with conservatives, with constitutionalists, with originalists, people who actually understand and value the words of the Constitution and are not just leftist activists on these benches. Trump did what he was supposed to do there. Obama didn't do what he was supposed to do, and that left the opening for Trump to do what he's supposed to do on a grander scale than really any president has in a while, if not ever. Probably going back to, to right, Washington, right, because he had to appoint all of them. But Dan Crenshaw, my boy Dan Crenshaw, by the way, Crenshaw 2024, get your eye patches ready, kids. He's got his tweet in response to Dan Rather's tweet there, and he says, the Democrats and their media allies, in Orwellian fashion, have redefined the term court packing to mean filling vacancies, enabling them to accuse GOP of court packing. Cute rhetorical trick, if you're arguing with a first grader. Actually, even a first grader would call BS. Bravo, Dan Crenshaw, 2024. So, that's uh, that's it on court packing. It's just silly that they are doing what they're doing with this with this whole thing. Filling a vacancy is not packing the court. The fact that he, Donald Trump, will have named three Supreme Court justices by the time Amy Coney Barrett gets nominated and, and approved, which she will in the coming days, hopefully. In Once that happens, the fact that he had three vacancies and filled three vacancies is not court packing. Now, if he came in and no Supreme Court justices had died and he was about to go out the door and he was like, you know what? I didn't get to nominate a Supreme Court justice. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pack the courts. I'm going to add six and I'm going to name them all, and they're all named Harrison Bergeron. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, unfortunately, that is not the case for me and me only. For the Constitution, for the Republic, all of those things are great. Trump had three vacancies. He filled three vacancies. He had 100-something, 150-something federal vacancies to fill. He filled those, too, because it was his duty to do so, and the dumbass that had the office before him forgot that he had that duty, and for that matter, wasn't smart enough to realize the lasting legacy it could leave on the country. 
all of these leftist activist judges that he wanted to cram into the Supreme Court. He could have crammed him into the lower courts too, but again, too busy being everybody's favorite golden calf. And this brings me to our final topic here, the very fine people lie. And it is a lie, and Mike Pence is about to dissect it. So just to set the table, Kamala Harris talked about, oh, Donald Trump refused to denounce white supremacists. Not true. Here's Mikey P. Take it away. President Pence, let me give you a minute to respond. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate that very much. You know, I think this is one of the things that uh, makes people dislike the media so much in this country, Susan, is that you selectively edit, just like Senator Harris did, comments that President Trump and I and others on our side of the aisle make. I mean, Senator Harris conveniently omitted, after the, after the president made comments about people on either side of the debate over monuments, he condemned the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists, and has done so repeatedly. You're concerned that he doesn't condemn neo-Nazis. President Trump has Jewish grandchildren. His daughter and son-in-law are Jewish. This is a president who, who respects and cherishes all of the American people. Except for Rosie O'Donnell. Come on. Come on, that was too easy. All right, so he doesn't necessarily love and respect all the American people, obviously. No one does. Let's stop pretending that's the case. But to jump from that to he's an obvious white supremacist when he's been denouncing David Duke, the Klan, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, white nationalists, going all the way back to 2015 now, is just silly. Again, this is this the, the Democrats live in a world where Joe Biden has been clear on his economic policy, even though he changes it every five seconds, depending on which way the wind blows. But Donald Trump has not denounced white supremacy. When I say they live in an alternate reality, I mean they live in an alternate fucking reality. There is no other way to interpret this. They do not live in our reality. That's for damn sure. Anyway, so debate number two, as I mentioned at the top of the of, of the show, has been canceled. We're going to get the final presidential debate, I believe, on October 22nd. I will be watching that one with bated breath. You will get another episode from me between now and then. However, I did want to just ask, uh, if you live in a swing state, if you live in Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Colorado, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania... I'm forgetting at least one, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. If you live in any of those states, slide into my DMs. We don't need to do this on air. I just want to get a feel for what you're feeling based on what you're seeing on the ground in your state. I'm making the final determinations. I'm doing the calculus. I'm trying to figure out who's going to win this damn election. I've drawn out my electoral map. I have come up with spreadsheets. I'm doing what I could do to try to predict the unpredictable because you got polls that are just on one side – point to an obvious Donald Trump victory based on the, the people's, you know, the people's ideas with the economy, people's ideas with their personal lives, how things have gotten better. When you look outside and you walk around, unless you live in like a radical leftist state, there's a good chance that you're seeing more Trump support than Biden support. And that's because there's not a lot of Biden support so much as there's a, an anti-Trump movement that exists out there. These people even know that Joe Biden is not going to be a very good president. And I hope then most of them are not so passionate about it that they go out, that they, you know, they just forget to vote. That would be nice, honestly. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. I'm looking at a lower voter turnout, I feel like, this time around than last time around. I know that's really hard to imagine because Hillary and Trump obviously turned so many people off, but I know dozens, personally, dozens of people that didn't vote last time at all that are now voting for Trump or people that voted for Bernie or voted for, for Hillary that are now going to vote for Trump. 
I don't know a whole lot of people that go the other way other than the losers at the Lincoln Project. And, well, they're losers, so I think we all know how this ends for them with a big old L. Speaking of, I'm about to go roll one for myself. Different kind of L. Anyway, that's it. That's the end of the show. I hope you guys were somewhat informed and at the bare minimum entertained. Uh, this has been The Right Opinion right here on therightopinion.podbean.com. HameenMediaGroup.podbean.com, RatsaladReview.com. Shoutouts to Wayne and to Nate over there. If you guys haven't checked it out, the review, uh, the debate, it's up on my feed. It's up on RatsaladReview.com. We did police versus uh, Black Lives Matter or systemic racism versus non-systemic racism. It kind of got a little muddied, but it was a fun conversation. Look, I don't agree with anything Nate has to say, but he seemed like a decent enough dude to me at the end of the day, and I appreciate him sitting down having the debate with me. It's just not something everybody's willing to do at the end of the day. And uh, as much as I feel like he brought a knife into a nuclear war, um, you know, that's that's obviously for you guys to determine at the end of the day. Obviously, I thought I won because I think my opinion was right before the debate started. That's why I called my show The Right Opinion. Come on, people. Keep up. Anyway, find me on social media at Right Opinion Pod, on Twitter, on Parlor, and on Instagram. And, uh, and search me in your podcatcher of choice, The Right Opinion. It's the one that's black and white and red all over like the failing New York Times used to be. Oh, and I almost let you go without reminding you, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion, and you can only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.